Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is a revisit of translations of the Bible. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Lutheran Handbook, I had asked how often you tend to go back and revisit translations of things to see how they're holding up. And we kind of decided that that needed to be rolled into another podcast. So we're doing that along with revisiting our discussion of translations of the Bible, which we'll link to absolutely because it was almost 300 episodes to go, <laughs> which is amazing and a little hard to find unless you want to scroll, 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 scroll. Totally. And for people who are picking this up on a service If you're listening to our podcast through one of the many podcast services that are out there, you can always go to our website and on the blog posts of the website, the links that we reference are listed there. So please feel free to check that out for more information. Yep. Okay. Let's start at the beginning then. Bible translations. We're talking what? Originally, the Bible was written in what language? Originally, we've got two sections of our scripture, right? We have what many people refer to as the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and that is written in Hebrew. So on the podcast, I will often reference to that as the Hebrew scriptures. And then we have the section called often the New Testament, which I will often refer to as the Greek scriptures, because those were originally written in Greek. Okay. And the type of Greek is Koine Greek. It's not like if you went to Greece today, the kind of Greek that they speak in Greece now. It's an ancient Greece, kind of like how English, if you read Chaucer, you're not going to be reading English like we speak it now. You'll be reading Middle English, which has a different set of rules and a different kind of way of spelling things Mm -hmm. and slightly different letters, right? Koine Greek is biblical Greek. So what kind of translations of the Bible have there been, right? We all know Martin Luther did the translation into German, but previous to that, it was translated into Latin, correct? Is that the first major translation there was? It was. So, well, yes and no. It's interesting. We've got a situation where the Hebrew scriptures existed long before the Greek scriptures because the Jewish faith is Mm -hmm. much longer and older than the Christian faith is. So there was a point in time when the Hebrew scriptures were then translated into Greek. Okay. And the Greek scriptures of the Hebrew scriptures were then used alongside of the Greek scriptures that were written for the New Testament of the Christian faith. And then those were translated into Latin. Okay. And one of the things that was very unique about part of Martin Luther's work is that Martin went back to the Hebrew. Okay. For those scriptures. He didn't go back from the Latin to the Greek. He went from the Latin to the Hebrew. And when he translated into German, into the language of the people, into the common language, He translated the Hebrew into German, and that was vastly different than what had been the pattern historically up until that point. What about the New Testament then? He only could go back to the Greek, correct? The ancient Greek? Because it was younger. I mean, younger by a couple 
thousand years, but yeah. It's fascinating that he didn't just use the Latin translations and he'd go all the way back. I'm sure that it's as much to his personality and his understanding of the faith as anything. Well, and he was a Hebrew scripture professor. That was his specialization. He wasn't just a A regular priest. He was actually a professor at a college and his area of study were the Hebrew scriptures. And so he had access to the language in a way that many people did not have access. And he would have learned that language even when many priests would have only needed to learn the Latin. Is that something that you should look for? The more direct, less language to language to language kind of translation? Because we've all been down that Google Translate path and play that particular game of do you ever get back to the original English or the original language? (laughs) It's a fun game, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. It really depends. I think that you can take a look at the various ways, but I think it's always good to be aware of the translation path that something has taken. To know that you are getting something three languages later versus knowing that you're one language off, Mm -hmm. it changes how the translation is. So if I know that it has gone from Hebrew to Greek to Latin, to French, to English, then I know there's going to be quite a bit of cultural and personal inflection and translation that has gotten into that before it reaches me. Mm -hmm. If I know something has gone from the Hebrew to English, then I can just look at one set of factors of How old were the people when they were translating this? What culture were they in that they were translating this? Is this an individual translating or is this a team translating? Are these translations done by scholars or by hobbyists? How is it created? And it gives you much less to kind of have to look at for that critique, that whatever the right term is, not cultural critique, Mm -hmm. but the English professor kind of critique as you're looking at this and and wondering, it's the game of telephone. Mm -hmm. How many passes has the message been before it comes to you? And so how reliable and how accurate do you believe the telephone message to be? If it's been through one person, it's much more likely to be accurate than if the telephone game has been through five or ten or 20 people before it reaches you. How much stock do you put in not just a cultural translation, but the time, right? The King James Version of the Bible is English. I'm assuming it came from Latin, but it was translated at a much different time where people behaved much differently. How much does that affect which translation that you're looking at? Again, for me, it impacts how I read and interact with the translation. So the King James Version was paid for by King James Mm -hmm. with an agenda. Mm -hmm. He absolutely had an agenda when he had it translated. And he absolutely had that agenda inserted into the translation. And scholars have looked at that for years, and there have been some really fascinating pieces on it. So knowing and understanding that a patron's agenda can show up in a translation. I think it behooves one to understand 
Who paid for the publication to exist? Who paid for the translation? And pay attention to their bias and their agenda and their purpose for a translation. Absolutely no one can encounter a translation completely unbiased. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. None of us are that self-aware. Our bias will absolutely subconsciously pull us from one word to another. Even myself looking at the difference between choosing light versus illumination versus radiance versus luminescence, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to be influenced by any number of factors that do and don't make any sense and I may or may not be aware of on any given day. And so to understand that that is the case and to open into how we read and encounter the scripture with an open heart to say, okay, these are still holy. We can look at these critically and we can ask these questions like, who paid for this translation without denigrating the holiness and the import of the work that it is. How much do you make it obvious which translation you're using on a Sunday morning? I probably should make it more obvious because I've recently been asked what translation we use. Oh, really? So we probably need to make it much more clear in our bulletins. The ELCA congregations typically default to the new revised standard version, the NRSV. Okay. And that is considered to be a text that is fairly academic, fairly neutral. It was translated by committee, by scholars. It was translated fairly recently within the last century, right? Okay. So that's recent. It was updated to have less gendered language, even though there's still a lot of gendered language within it. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, it it kind of sticks to not direct word-for-word translation, because Greek has Mm -hmm. different syntax. It's like the difference between English and French. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't say, je ne sais pas. You'd say, I don't know. You wouldn't say, I not knowing am yeah. I. Yeah. German right? has similar syntax issues. Exactly. It, it's not word for word because of syntax, but it's fairly accurate as far as the words that are there are used in the sentence and not smoothed out. So it's not necessarily pretty or flowing. It doesn't necessarily have the same kind of poetry as say the New Jerusalem, but it's the kind of translation that is fairly academic, trying to be less biased one way or another. So how often do you go back and revisit these? Because you've mentioned recently the light and dark imagery is something we're trying to get away from. Yeah. Same thing with pronouns and gender being an issue. How often do you, is that a like, as soon as an issue comes up, does somebody bring it to your attention? How do you know to go looking for something different? It's a good question. I think part of that is discourse among scholars. It's a conversation that people who are living and working in the faith are having, but I don't know that there's another translation right now that is pulling those things out well. Okay. There is a translation called the inclusive translation. Okay. That has removed gender. They are a more copyrighted translation. And so it's harder to get access to the inclusive version. Interesting. 
most of these are copyrighted. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but they are still pretty accessible online. The inclusive version is less accessible online. You can purchase it in a bound copy and have access to it, but that is less user-friendly when you're creating a bulletin each week. Sure. Okay, so is there such a thing as a reputable translation? Because I'm assuming anybody who has the will and the time can translate the Bible into their own version, right? Right. So how do you know if you're getting one from somebody who doesn't necessarily have a bias, but is doing it, I don't know, with integrity? Yeah, I think this is where you're responsible for doing your own research, knowing who the publishers are, right? If you find a self-published Bible translation on Amazon, you might want to question it if it's by a single author. If you find a single author publication, such as Eugene Peterson's The Message, it is published by a major publishing house, and so it has some credibility But it is also treated, it is a paraphrase. It is not a translation. It is a paraphrase of the scripture. Okay. And so it will be treated as a less academic, maybe a less accurate, but an interesting translation, an accessible one. At the same time, you have other ones where you can, again, look at who is the publisher, who are the scholars that helped to do the translation, and eventually we'll revisit and talk again about the difference between a publication because there's a gazillion publications within each translation stream. Mm -hmm. So that all comes into play. Who is your publisher and do you trust them? When you were in seminary, how is this subject brought up and talked about, or was it even brought up and talked about? Kind of on the peripheral, but what we were given as our textbook version was the Oxford annotated with the Apocrypha. Okay. So of the NRSV. So we had the translation that we were to use for all of our classes was the NRSV. Uh And the publication of it that we needed for our classes was the Oxford annotated version. And we were told to have the version that included the Apocrypha so that we could look at those books as well. Okay. And a quick sidebar, the Apocrypha is what... The Catholics include that the Lutherans do not, correct? Correct. And they're books that got shifted and moved along throughout early church history when translation bits were happening. Okay. So if you're fascinated by this discussion of multiple translations, how do you go out and find them? Do you have any sort of resource people can go and sort of compare on their own? Yeah, my favorite resource for exactly this kind of thing is actually BibleGateway.com. Okay. It's a website online that you can access super easy. I access it on my phone a lot. And they have, I think, 150 different translations, all accessible with a simple search. So find your favorite verse of scripture. Find one that you really like. Find your favorite psalm. Find your favorite story. Whatever you read multiple times. Pop that in to the search bar and then start going through the different translations. There are dozens of English translations. There are many, many, many different language translations. You can get Italian, German, French, Spanish, all kinds of translations up on there. So it's super easy to take... Whatever verse you particularly like, say the Beatitudes, pop that reference in there 
and then look at it in the NRSV, then look at it in the New International Version, in the NIV, look at the Contemporary English Version, the CEV, pop it in and see what you get from the message and how vastly different the translation can be from the message versus these other kind of more academic-y kind of ones. Check them out, see what you like, find what you can, and then you can go out and purchase a copy if you want to purchase a copy, or you can continue to access it from Bible Gateway. When you're looking at reading out the scriptures on a Sunday morning, how much looking around at different translations do you do, or do you have one that you use as a standard? It's a good question. I, 99.5% of the time, I use the NRSV. Okay. And for me, again, it's a little bit like using the lectionary in general. It keeps it more neutral for me. I know I have a little less bias and I am projecting less of myself when I stick with kind of this academic version. I would use the inclusive if it was a little easier to access. Mm -hmm. The one that I will sometimes move to as a decision and a choice is the message. Really? And I'm clear when I do it. I make it very clear that I'm reading a paraphrase that day. And I will explain in my sermon why I do it. I won't use the message translation without calling it out. Is that usually when you're trying to get away from something like light and dark imagery to luminescent and something else? Unfortunately, no. Peterson still includes that language in there. What I usually am trying to do when I slip over to that translation or move to another one is find a different way to access an exceedingly familiar scripture. Oh, interesting. Okay. Or if there is something that is exceedingly confusing about a scripture in the academic translation, I will go to something that tries to make it a little bit more accessible. But most of the time, it's when I'm trying to just get it to be heard a little bit different, to jar what we are accustomed to hearing. So if we have heard the story of the prodigal son a thousand times, Mm -hmm. To hear it told with just a little different spin, the academic version is familiar enough that I'm not going to bias people too much by shifting or changing or moving a word, but I could change the heart access to that story by encountering it in a more casual or a more familiar kind of tone. And that's what Peterson's message gives us. I'm curious, given that I know that you're on social media with a lot of pastors from different denominations, Mm -hmm. do you see you all using the same one or do they call out different translations per denomination or just per congregation? Oh yeah, it varies dramatically. Really? Absolutely. There's a ton of difference, a ton of variety in what is used. And there are new ones coming out. There are new translations coming out and new ways to access and things like that that happen often. You can get an insight into some basic theological concepts of a congregation simply by looking at which translation they're most consistently using. Oh, fascinating. And how would you find that out if you were looking at a congregation? Is that just the readings that they're picking and then they would have to put the copyright out there? Or they may say, today I'm reading to you out of the NIV version of, or today I'm reading to you from the NRSV. They may or may not say it out loud. Fascinating. 
Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. Do you have a current favorite? Do I have a current favorite? Whether or not you actually use it in church is irrelevant to me. Oh, it's a good question. I don't think that I do. I think translation-wise, I bounce around quite a bit. So Bible Gateway is your favorite? Yeah, it is. That's honestly where I resource the most is Bible Gateway so I can bounce around the various translations. And then I bounce back to the Greek and the Hebrew through online resources as well, because my Greek and Hebrew are so rusty that I can't do it on my own. I need to have the, not the refresher, but the assistance and the safety nets of those who keep up with it more. I sort of forget that you actually have that resource this day and age to be able to go back and look at specific words yourself and have all that information right at your fingertips. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. We should actually put that on our list to talk about what a concordance is and how people (laughs) can dig into that because it's really fascinating to be able to go to a concordance and take a look at what a specific Greek or Hebrew word is and then look at where else it's used in scripture Mm -hmm. and how it shows up. Then you can find silly little things like the fact that our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, the word epiusion is the word for daily. And that is the only time that word is used in the entirety of the Greek scripture. That's bizarre. (laughs) So there's no other context to help us know what it meant. Wow. Right? It's little things like that that I think are really fun to kind of dig into text, individual word study. So for me, I think I bounce around a lot. I think that maybe publication-wise is where maybe I have a couple different publications versus a specific favorite translation. Well, this is all absolutely fascinating. And I thank you for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the translations of the Bible. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And here's wishing you all a happy holiday, a good end of your year as we come up in this time of holiness. Thank you for listening along. And until we are in your ears again, remember... God loves you, no matter what.